Welcome to Technado. Welcome and thanks for joining us for this episode of Technado. Just want to remind you, Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the good folks behind IT Pro. If you want to check out the IT Pro website, you can use that discount code TECHNADO30 for a 30% discount on your membership. I'm your host for the show, Sophie Goodwin, or I shouldn't say the host, I'm a host, because to my left is Don Pizzette. Don, how are you? I am doing great. Excited to jump in and talk about stuff. We got a good mix of uh, cloud, AI, and security, so all the standard ingredients for a TechNado episode. I always ask how you're doing, and you always say that you're doing great, and one of these days you're going to say, like, I'm doing awful, and it's going <laughs> to totally throw me off. I know that if I ask Daniel how he's doing, he'll he'll give me the real answer. Yeah, I'll be like, Eeyore. <laughs> well, I have horrible things happening in my life, and I eat thistles for a living. I guess that's a pretty horrible thing. <laughs> for a living? Thistles. I guess, isn't that what Eeyore did? He ate thistles? I have no idea. Like, was Does like he get paid to thing. do it? I mean... It's like, that's his occupation? He went to college for it? I get paid. I'm superimposing Eeyore's life into mine. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Okay. Therefore, there's some cross-pollination in what goes on. I I didn't mean to offend offend your your Eeyore comparison. That's why you're the host. Sure, we'll, we'll go with that. So we, like Don said, we do have some, some fun stuff that we're going to get into today. We'll start with our tech news. This first article comes to us from Tom's Hardware. It says, Newegg's ChatGPT plugin helps you plan a PC build. So it's pretty cool. You give it your, your budget and what you want to do, and it'll recommend parts for you. But it looks like it doesn't always recommend like the most cost-effective solution. It'll find stuff that's within your budget, but maybe not like the lowest price possible. Yeah, you know, every company in the world right now is rushing to see how they can jam ChatGPT into their product. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, when I heard about this one, I thought it was a, a neat idea, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't thought of this mostly because when ChatGPT launched, it uh, it had a data set that was trained that stopped, if I remember right, at the end of 2021, and then they added 2022 to it. So, you know, how much help can it give you if it's specking last year's parts? If I want to build a new computer, it'd be neat to be able to ask the AI. But apparently, the the folks over at Newegg have taken the time to train it on their their inventory. The problem is, I don't know if you guys have shopped on Newegg recently. Like they, I used to love going to Newegg. They had mm-hmm. tons of stuff. Uh, they got bought out a while ago by a Chinese conglomerate, and now it's kind of like a flea market. Yeah. <laughs> in, in that when you search for stuff on Newegg, half of it is sold by them. And, and Amazon's kind of the same way. Half yeah. of it's sold by them, but the other half is by like rando sellers that you have no idea who they are. And so you have to be really careful because some of the hardware that will come back in a result might be a few years old, hmm. but it's right there next to stuff that's brand new. And and I don't mean used. I just mean like you'll see one laptop that'll have a 10th generation Intel processor right next to a laptop with a 13th generation Intel processor, that, that kind of stuff. Hmm. And the chat GPT plugin, because it's trained on that inventory has that same problem. You, you can't completely trust what it gives you, but it is a, a neat idea, a neat way to leverage this stuff. You just got to see how it uh, evolves and work its way out, right? I mean, anything, new implementation, it's going to take some time to get some of the, the kinks worked out, as it were, yeah. right? Yeah, I I remember, and we'll go way back in time here. Uh, 1997. I, well, this, I actually, <laughs> earlier than that. Ooh. So I had a computer, and, and this is really, we're, we're total time machine. One zone. he couldn't speak to. That had four, <laughs> four megabytes of RAM. And okay, not, yeah, that was a while back. Not gigabytes, right? Four, yeah, megabytes. four megabytes. And I wanted to upgrade it to eight megabytes of RAM. I saved up my money, and so yeah. I, I was- uh, Sold a kidney. I was like just out of high school when I did this. Uh, and I, I went down to CompUSA, uh, which they ended up getting CompUSA, acquired by Best yeah. Buy, so they're, they're gone now. Uh, but I, I went, I said, I, I want to buy a memory upgrade. And the guy started asking questions like, okay, well, is it a- 
a 72 pin dim or a, uh whatever 38 pin sim or whatever it was yeah. back then and, yeah. and i'm like well crap i don't know i gotta go look <laughs> i come back all right well is it fast page or normal page and i'm like i don't know and it, it was like he was asking questions to get me to the point where i couldn't purchase it was super frustrating so to have something like this that you could ask questions to that could just recommend here's the right types of memory you tell it your budget it specs it out that's a pretty handy thing. It's like a Neiman Marcus shopper for you, but it's, you know, got outdated information. Yeah. yeah. So in it, in its current form, it's not the greatest. If you go in and mess around with it, you just, you can't, you can't quite trust it. You have to fact check everything that it gives you, but I can see it getting there. It's yeah. a, a neat way to build something out. Well, you know what the great thing about that though, is even though it's not the best, right? It's not going to give you the most accurate information or maybe give you the most, you know, cost effective or, or whatever the case is is that it could get you like you, you ever you ever hear the saying um i don't even know what i don't know mm-hmm. it yeah. can kind of uh reveal some of those things that you didn't even know that was like a thing or that that would have been, oh i didn't know that company even made these things let me start looking at their options oh they do have a more recent option oh it is very similar to the other one i was looking at and it could lead you down some good paths to options you probably weren't even aware of yeah I think this is a this is a complex one, yeah. uh, a complex nut to crack because you know if you think about like specking out a computer, well, your CPU, the the motherboard has to have the right socket for it. That's usually pretty easy to figure out. Hmm. You need cooling, and so a lot of the fans, the CPU coolers and stuff, are tied to the socket size. So that's easy, but then the fan height has to fit within the case. And that type of measurement is not very standardized. And so I don't know how well a chat GPT bot is going to do on something like that. You know, making sure, because I'd hate to like get all these parts, you get them all spread out, you start assembling it, everything goes together fine. <laughs> and then you try and put the case cover on and you oh. break your CPU. <laughs> yeah. What was that noise? Oops. <laughs> row, row. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we'll, we'll have to see, but if this is an indicator of what the future is like, custom builds will become a lot less risky that you can just interact with the bot and hopefully get some better information out of it. I thought this was interesting because I obviously I've never built a PC before. I've never, I've never had a, a need to do that, but so I don't know a lot about the parts. I would not know at first glance that's, that's not right. Or that doesn't look right. I thought it was interesting. It talked about how, since this thing is cr- directly connected to new egg, right? That's where it's getting yeah. its information from. It, uh, it said that it's cut off. It's knowledge cut off. ChatGPT's knowledge cut off is September, 2021, mm-hmm. but then it was recommending uh, parts that were not talked about till 2022. So they pointed out that it's getting its product information directly from Newegg, which is a retailer with its own agenda. So, I mean, I thought that was interesting. That I guess you just can't really get away from that because, of course, they're yeah. going to try to push the stuff that they want to sell you, whatever right. they've got. Although that that's an important point for any any company that's pushing to you like, oh, we've got ChatGPT. If it's out of the box chat gpt it's not good enough it straight up sucks (laughs) (laughs) so you need to find out whether or not that company actually trained their ai model you know their their llm or whatever they've trained it on whatever specific data set that company is is promoting if it's if it's uh flowers to go and they're saying yeah we can advise you on the best flowers they need to have trained it on a data set to make it more accurate and useful. If it's just regular old chat GPT, it's, it's not really, a, it's just a marketing gimmick at that. Here's point. what I want. Here's, I need this today. So you devs out there are hearing the sound of my voice, <laughs> get your pencils ready for a billion dollar idea. I need a plugin that allows me to search Amazon that way effectively because Amazon search 
for stuff straight up sucks. Yeah. Like, you search for very specific things. You even use their sidebar stuff. Like, I don't want it to be out of this range. I want it to be of this year or this size or this whatever. And it still gives you crap that doesn't fit those things. And it just makes me want to set the whole thing on fire. Yeah, I think think what you're seeing there is is similar with Google, right? Google used to give you the best results. You knew that page one, the top 10 results of a search, one of those was going to be the hit that you were looking for and there would be good information. But over time, people learned how to game the system, right? They learned, I mean, just the fact that search engine optimization is a thing. Right. So, so people learned how to do that. Well, the Amazon App Store is the same way. People learned how to game the review process and, and so on. So when you search, you might be searching for a television and you're expecting to see Sony, Toshiba, Samsung, but instead you're seeing, you know, Chupow and yeah. SoFly and all the five letter yeah, yeah. Weird, weird named things. Yeah. And it's because they've gamed the system. I hate this yeah. Thing. And and that's where I go back to the, if you're going to have search that's optimized, if you're going to have an AI model or whatever, it's got to be trained to, to handle the data that you've got. Get my plugin ready, y'all. I need yeah. it. Make it happen. I'll buy it today. <laughs> Great. Now we're going to start getting spam from, what's it, what's it called? Honey yeah, yeah, yeah. or something? The Oh, where it's got the coupons. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah, a plug-in. Yeah. yeah. It tells you, yeah. Well, you can reach me at Don dot Pazette. <laughs> <laughs> ethical hacker over there. Yeah. The ethical part's yeah. questionable. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see, like like the article says, it's not ideal, but how, how it develops, I guess, over the next however many months. In the coming months, mm-hmm. at some point. What, what was it you said last week? in the future months or something. You were super vague about it. It was like something developed. I think that was what it was. That's that's what it said. It was like in the coming months. Awesome. Okay, cool. It just stuck in your brain. It did. Yeah, 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 it did. It was was a good memory. So. (laughs) Living rent free, apparently. (laughs) It was a real real positive time in my life. Uh, All those those days ago. (laughs) You said in the coming months. It just just really hit me right here. (laughs) It really resonated. Positive influence. Well, we'll go ahead and move on to our next article. This one, uh, staying in the in the realm of cloud, this comes to us from Petri. It says, AWS to start charging for public IPv4 addresses in February 2024. So from what I read, it looks like this is like a, it's almost like a scarcity issue where it's, I think it's like, what, 0.005 cents per hour for each public IPv4? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. This is exactly a scarcity issue. So the IPv4 address space was exhausted years ago. And most of the major ISPs are holding on to reserves of IPv4 addresses. But if you want to get a public address, they cost more than they used to. They used to be free in a lot of cases. Like with AWS, as long as you used a dynamic IP, it was free. You only had to pay if you wanted a static IP in in AWS. Now they're changing that. So in, in 2024, so six months from now, they're going to start charging a rate. And it's what Sophie said, right? Half a cent per... Not half a cent. 0. 0.005. 0.005. Right? Is it 0. 0.05 will be half a cent? Because 0.1 is... Point, or is that... 0.5. No, 0.5 okay. is half a cent. I never claim to be good at math. <laughs> Y'all looking at me like I said I was some sort of like <laughs> mathematician. So I fed it through a calculator because I'm no mathematician either. But basically it works out to about $43 per year. So we're not talking about an exorbitant amount, but if you've got a hundred instances running up inside of AWS, all of a sudden that starts That's, to add up a little bit, right? Again, not a mathematician. If you have a hundred, that makes it forty-three hundred dollars yeah. per yeah. year. There we go. Okay. So uh, <laughs> wow, it's amazing. Yeah. So we've been hearing for years you should go to IPv6, and with AWS, IPv6 addresses are free. 
Uh, and that's because they're so plentiful. There's no scarcity whatsoever on those. You can jump in and like go. The, the idea of them being like they're so non-scarce that you could give IPs to every grain of sand in the ocean kind of thing. Yes. Right? It's like stupid the the amount Sorry, I haven't, of I haven't wrapped my mind around every grain of sand in the ocean. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's sand sense. in the ocean. Okay. I don't know if you knew that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> I just think of the water in the yeah, ocean. Yeah, water, <laughs> grain of water. Well. <laughs> Let's talk about sand. Stick to the beach, okay? Let's not get outside of our realm here. I like how we're like getting into semantic arguments. Right. We get the idea. So the the point is, I guess I lost my title as king. <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on it. So, uh, uh, something that was free is no longer going to be free. Now, what I find really interesting here is while IPv6 has been around for thirty years a lot of systems are still not ready to move over to it. There's a ton of infrastructure that's out there that's not ready to be IPv6 only. I was reading an article on Hacker News over the weekend about it, about how the the Hacker News website itself doesn't support IPv6. And it's a place that a lot of people go to for information on on things. So uh, it's, a, it's a brave new world out there. IPv6 is a real pain in the ass. It kind of is. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be. If you have proper name servers set up, then it's it's not that big of a <laughs> deal. that kind of time done. Well, yeah. <laughs> But I, what I think, does the, like, like you said, it's been around for forever. What is stopping? What is, what is the big roadblock to IPv6 in the world? So I, I view it as two things, right? So one, the addresses are intimidating. They're, they're big. They are. They're bits. very strange. It's yes. a lot of, a lot of address. Uh, and then two, you can still do IPv4, right? Right. So wh- why change? There's not a material benefit to going to IPv6. I think we just ran into one here with this article, didn't we? Well, <laughs> we just move to Azure and be done with it. Yeah, but eventually, <laughs> eventually that train's going to get yeah. off the you know the the tracks, and then if you go to GCP or whatever, that's going to like eventually this is going to be a problem. Eventually, it yes. seems like we are procrastinating ourselves into having a problem. I I made a comment uh, a long time ago. I, I think it was on the podcast, but it was years and years ago. Yeah, about how we're not going to see full IPv6 adoption until like the US government or the you know the UN some some big organization has to put their foot down and say like and usually it's the US government so if the US government put their foot down and said all US government online services have to be IPv6 only by this date then problem solved that would that would force companies to start acting right because now you may potentially have end users or customers who mm. <laughs> who are IPv6 only and, and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, until then, like, so at home, I have AT&T Fiber, and they give me an IPv6 address. Yeah. And I didn't notice it, but for a period of like a month, my, my firewall did not issue an IPv6 address to my desktop. I only had an IPv4 address on my desktop. But I didn't notice. As an end user, 100% of what I want available is available via IPv4. So there's there's literally no reason for me as an end user to say oh, I really wish I had IPv6. Yeah. So that there, there's just no motivation. Well, starting us in the wallet, maybe it will. Yeah, yeah, that's one. And way don't to do get it. me wrong; it's not like I'm like this IPv6 advocate out there, and all my stuff is IPv6, and I'm not doing that. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think forty three bucks a year is going to be enough to move that. Probably needle, not. Probably not. It's one more nail in the coffin. Because if it's already, if it's becoming a scarcity issue, I wonder how long before it, like those prices eventually go up. And it's like, because we really, really are dealing with a scarcity issue. And yeah. I wonder how many, how many years it'll take before it's like, can, yeah, there's you, no, huh? I was going to say, due to the scarcity, could you start buying IPv4 addresses 
to just hoarding them well like like toilet paper well, like and, any and, commodity right is scarcity right yeah. it's yeah. basic economics so i don't think the iana lets you resell addresses in that way uh, uh you can rent them out like amazon does all right i don't think you can sell them <laughs> and uh do you guys know the story about apple I'm sure there's more than one, but watch you enlighten us to this so, one. So way back in the early days of the internet, uh, the the plan was like this is before NAT, okay. right? So before we had network address translation, that that everybody would have a public IP. Yeah. And a lot of schools here in the U.S., every single computer had a public IP. It was nuts. Um, Apple said they went to the INA and they said, "Look, um, we see a future." where every Mac that we sell has its own IP address, right? Not, not, not a crazy future, yeah, but yeah. NAT didn't exist, right. right? And so the IANA issued them a Class A network. Uh, and a Class A is, oh, shoot, I'm rusty. Is it uh, it's a lot. 16 million IP? No, it's more than that. It's a... Yeah, now I got to find out yeah. how many IPs in a Class A. That's um, what happens when you start doing like, you know... Mr. Businessman, I'm not I'm IT dude Mr. anymore. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was right, 16.7 million. So I'm, I'm not that <laughs> rusty. So 16.7 million IP. So they, they got this massive Which was block. insane back then, right? It was insane back then. Uh, fast forward to today where they've, they've definitely sold more than 16 million devices, right? But they still have that Class A today. Do they really? They still have it. They have 16, over 16 million IPs, most of which are unassigned and sitting there. Uh, Ford Motor Company. I was about to say, I heard Ford had a big block of IPs. They said, hey, every truck we sell will need its own IP. They gave theirs back a couple of years ago. Did they? That's right, when it got like exhausted. Yep, they they gave theirs back because they said, look, we're not going to sign an IP to every truck. We don't need that. We we, we use other technologies, and here you can have it back. And Apple's like, I'm sorry, what's happening? Yep. Yep. So... Interesting stuff. Uh, there were several other companies that had blocks, and I, I don't, I don't know the history on all of them yeah, who yeah. gave them back and who didn't. But, uh, but the scarcity is it's it's real. Like there's a real limit to how many IPv4 addresses there are. But there's enough stuff that lets us skirt by that it keeps hanging around, and this is where we are now. All right, Don, put on your best Swami hat and okay. crystal ball. How long before we are in IPv6 world? Uh, not in our lifetime. So I mean, I'm, I'm going to live maybe, to be like 100. Maybe Sophie's, so. unless you live dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how fast you drive. Well, I look like the kind so, of person that lives dangerously. 2070, when she's <laughs> picking out a burial plot. Nah, I, I'm not going to die at 70. I'll live longer than that. I think I'll live longer than that. I think I have it in me. Don't worry. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel a little bit threatened. I'm a little worried. I just got some clients. That's all. Okay. I see. You have a very particular set of skills. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I, I used to say, uh, until Cisco and Juniper and Palo Alto and still the network, until the networking gear companies make IPv6 available by default, yeah. it's not going to happen. Because like Cisco used to charge for that as a feature on their routers. You had to buy that feature yeah, set. And everybody was like, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but here we are today. All those manufacturers, they support IPv6. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a router or a firewall or a switch that, that didn't in. have that just built in. Your operating systems, Linux, Mac, Windows, they all have it built in. Even the cheap, crappy Linksys router that you go and buy at the store, it's got it built in. All the ISPs support it. I've noticed that the last few like home devices that I've had, they issue IPv6 yeah. stuff so, by default. If we've got support for it end to end and we're still not using it, 
it's it's not going to happen. They're going to come out with IPv8, but <laughs> it's going to be like it's one number. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the atomic mass of it is a little bit different for everything, yeah. or whatever the case is. To, Okay, yeah. So, moral of the story, we probably won't see the extinction of IPv4 in our lifetimes, and I will never die. So, that's that's <laughs> that's what I got from all of that. Let's talk about some... The only one. <laughs> <Island there. laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll just be me left on this planet. It's yeah. going to be great. You win the prize. <laughs> Let's talk about some hardware. We've got an article here from The Register. It says, Infineon to offer recyclable circuit boards that dissolve in water. Now, Infineon, as we all know, is my favorite evolution of Eevee uh, from the Pokemon <laughs> games. I'm just kidding. Infineon Technologies, the company, will be using recyclable printed circuit boards based on a material developed by a UK startup. So I'm curious what you guys think of this. I mean, on, on the surface, it looks like kind of a neat idea. Yeah, you know, e-waste e is a real problem. And so people are looking at creative ways to to solve that. And with this one, what they do is the, the, the circuit board, the PCB, instead of making it out of silicon like they do now, they're making it out of a biodegradable material that... It's intact while at normal temperatures, but if you boil it in 90 degrees Celsius water, so it, it basically whatever boiling is in Fahrenheit, I don't know, um, but uh, you you boil it and the lamination comes off of it and it starts to break down and it can be treated and, and recycled very, very easily. It's a neat idea. I think that it is still just an idea though, mm. because when they talk about e-waste and where the toxic chemicals come from, it's not actually the PCB that has most of the toxic materials in it, right? The the, the PCB is is mostly like melted glass. It, it it's mm. it's made of silicon. It's, um, it's but fiberglass, right? It's like nylon reinforced glass. It's a, a couple of different things, yeah. yeah. But it's not like toxic. Um, yeah. It's when you get into the chips, when you get into all the other components that are stuck on the motherboard, that's where a lot of the toxic materials are. That's the toxicity are, of our city, and, and of not our that, city. Not that I'd want to eat a PCB, just for the record. Like it's not well, good you haven't lived, Don Pizet. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what, you throw a little less cargo on that and give yourself a fine meal. Crunches. <laughs> but, but it's neat. I, I, I think it's a really cool idea, and uh, it, it, it does make a difference. And we have gotten into a society where most of our electronic devices are disposable. If something goes wrong with them, it's cheaper to just buy a new one than to get the one you have fixed. Uh, technology like this, I, I think, is is the the way of the future. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's nice that we're trying to do something to try to reduce waste. There's nothing wrong with that, I think. And if it basically, from what I was reading in the article, they kind of said there's no real benefit to it as far as like, like right now, you're not going to see a lot of return on that. But I think that if you just... If it's basically parity with what we have already, but it's biodegradable, then why not? So I, I equate it to, um, uh, oh, what were the the, the fake meat? Uh, <laughs> the Impossible Burger. The imp Impossible Burger. There we go. Yes, that, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> so when I heard about it originally, I was like, wait a minute, you're making a burger. We I saw a commercial about that. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Took me a second. It's like somebody put a notebook in my, in my sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I heard about it, they're making a burger, but not out of meat. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, you know, vegetarians, people who are healthy, they they, they might care about this, and and it'll be an exciting product for them. And then the more I learned about it, like, oh, it has the same calories as beef, and it is beef. <laughs> oh, it has the same sodium levels as beef, and it's the same nutritional value. And wait a minute, there, there really is no difference. I mean, it's it's not beef. They're just trying to hit the vegan market, I guess. Like. Well, there was something about where the vegans 
there, there was something about it that made the vegans it was not happy cooked as well. in the same place that the beef ones were i think that's that, what that it maybe was. there was something about so it touched the same animal stove. product yeah, same. yeah and so at the end of the day it was like well if you just don't want to kill an animal then here you go um and that I think is, is not that where anyway. <laughs> where this technology is right now. Uh, hopefully, it'll evolve and and oh, I'm sure forward. But kind of like our chat GPT thing, right? It's like this is the first iteration. The more yeah. they invest in it, the more they work on it, then we'll start to see breakthroughs. And I think that it'll it'll get better. Yep, I do think they need to come up with a better name for it because they call it the Solubord because it's soluble. Uh, a little bit witty, I guess. So uh, are they going to build like big? disposable or, or dis, uh, I guess places where you go and dispose of your PCBs of your e-waste when they're just boiling things all day and that would be interesting that would be a great how it's made yeah <laughs> but that's the opposite of how it's made if, yeah how it's deconstructed how it's not made <laughs> if this catches on when I when I first heard about it I was like ooh something water soluble because we're in Florida Oh, yeah. And in Florida, the humidity is so high. I'm like, this thing's going to break down on its own. <laughs> yeah. And we're definitely at the boiling point when it comes to temperature. <laughs> but anyhow, it, it, it's a brand new technology. They haven't raised a whole lot of money. So it's going to take a while for this to catch on. But it is neat to see people innovating like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did say it was probably going to be considerably more costly, at, le at least initially, uh, until, I don't know, I guess they can keep working on it and come out with something better. I don't know. Yeah. But I guess that's that's the case with a lot of new technology. So it's you know yeah. not not necessarily like a deal breaker. I think they said it was like fifty percent more expensive, but it did require less carbon or it created less carbon emissions or something. If you're into that, uh <laughs> <laughs> like it's a hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, get, get together with my carbon emissions club this weekend. <laughs> it's incredibly important for some people. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Al Gore's know. flying in on his private jet. To talk. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody somewhere, they're just their ears are burning. Yeah, <laughs> we're having well, jokes, people. Just jokes. <laughs> we're just kidding. Just, just having just fun. Kidding. Don't take it personal. <laughs> I think that's as good a place to uh, to take a break as any. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back with uh, more security news in just a little bit. So stick around for more Technado. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back to this week's meeting of the Carbon Emissions Club. We're going to get into <laughs> our, our security news here in the second half of the show, so we'll go ahead and jump right into it. We've got an article from Ars Technica. It kind of reads like a comic book, in my opinion. Encryption breaking, password leaking, bug in many AMD CPUs could take months to fix. Did you like how I switched the cadence there? So Zenbleed, <laughs> Zenbleed is what they're calling it. It affects all Zen 2-based Zen 2 based Ryzen, Threadripper, and Epic CPUs. There's a lot of words. <laughs> There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of acronyms. So is this something that, like, the general public should be worried about? Uh Yes and no, right? So I, I think we learned a lot in the past. This one is called Zenbleed, which made me immediately think of Heartbleed, but mm -hmm. it's actually closer to the whole Spectre and Meltdown debacle, right? This is another bug in a CPU that's affecting the way that uh, that the CPU does the predictive, you know how like with hyper-threading, they try and predict what processes are going to happen and, and calculations. And then fire them up, yeah. yeah. 
And so this is another bug based on that, just like the Spectrum meltdown crisis. Well, when Spectrum meltdown hit the, the general population, everybody panicked. Like, this is a bug in my CPU. An attacker could go and look at all sorts of stuff. But then people realized over time, wait a minute. I shouldn't have preemptively shot my neighbor. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and it doesn't really matter on my laptop or on my desktop. But if I'm AWS and I have hardware and I'm renting out virtual machines to multiple customers and one customer could see another customer's data, that's really bad. So for Amazon and Google and Microsoft, Spectre and Meltdown were really big deals. For the common person, like if you Googled Linux uh, Spectre Meltdown, usually the first couple of results were how to disable the mitigations for it so you could get your performance back, right? Because mm. it was a you know, something like a 20% CPU hit. Well, that was Intel. Now it's AMD. So they've got the same issue that's going on. There's a CVE out for, for this. And unfortunately, it's not something we can fix on AMD's behalf, right? AMD has to fix it. And they've got a, a somewhat slow release cadence that's going out on it. So they they targeted like their high end. What's that? Like a week? Uh, like a couple of months. <laughs> oh, right. But in the coming months. In in their defense, they targeted the high end enterprise CPUs first, the ones that like Amazon or that Microsoft would or Google big. would use. So they they've already released one for their Epic processors and their uh, uh, you know those are the big data center ones. And then they're moving through from high end to low end after that. So the thread rippers are next, and those are supposed to come out in. Uh, October, November, and then everything else will be out in December. All the Ryzen's, the 5,000, 4,000, 3,000, uh, all come out in December. So some people are a little frustrated by that. Like, wait, I got to wait till December for you to fix this bug. But it, it doesn't really truly impact just a regular end user computer. Now, what if the hackers get wise to this, Don, and they start spear hacking people that work at these places that have these chips on their laptops, get their credentials to gain access into those systems and go the back way? So when when somebody exploits this, right, they're basically trying to break out of the protection barriers that we've got inside of our, our right. computer. So if you have an operating system that's doing like true sandboxing where each application that runs is in its own container, then the attacker could use this to potentially look at other applications, right? But if you're running Windows 11, that doesn't happen, right? There's not like <laughs> a true sandbox there. So an attacker using this exploit couldn't see anything that they couldn't already see oh. by poking around in the CPU. So, you know, maybe like the kernel space, right? When they get to, what was that, ring one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, that's where or ring, ring zero. zero. Yeah, ring yeah. zero. So when they get to that, you know, they might be able to see a little extra information. But by that point, they've already compromised your system enough that they could be using a keylogger to capture your keystrokes and get passwords and things that way. Like there's So stick with the tried and trues is what you're telling those hackers out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, yeah, the the tool the hammer is ancient, but we still use it today, that right? That's true. That's so, true. We're in, uh, the reason we make jokes about reinventing the wheel. Yeah, yeah. So if you're Amazon, if you're Microsoft, if you're Google, there's a panic. You need to patch. The Epic patch is already available. Get it rolled out. Firmware update, and you're in business, right? For everyone else, you need to keep an eye on AMD. They'll be releasing patches over the next couple of months, and that will get you taken care of. Well, you got to love it when you see this kind of thing. And you know what's interesting about this stuff is, like, it seems like it'd be fairly difficult to, like, figure out that these things are there. And... You know, I can't really hold them too accountable as far as like, well, how come you didn't find every security vulnerability, <laughs> which tends to be the, the temperature of the water, at least from a lot of these articles is like, why didn't they, you know, especially if you read the comment section, yeah. you're like, how did they not see this? 
It's like, because <laughs> we're people, man. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. They're doing the best they can. Now, if they, we saw like a trend like we've seen with other organizations where they really aren't trying the best they can. And yeah, go ahead and complain. Get get crazy. Go to a different person, you know, competitors. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, who who are your competitors at this point? So you had sure. Intel who already went through this. Yeah. And you got AMD who's who's been making ground on Intel for years now, right? Uh, and so, you know, they're next. And then who after that? Like, <laughs> if you say, I mean, I guess ARM, right? You could say, that's it. I'm, I'm going all ARM. And, and there's plenty of places doing that. So I did read a little more on this, actually. And uh, in the actual write-up from the researchers that discovered the Zembly, they talked about discovery. It says, I found this bug by fuzzing. Big surprise. I'm not the first person to apply fuzzing techniques to find hardware flaws. In fact, vendors fuzz their own products extensively. The industry term for it is called post-silicon validation. So how come this bug wasn't found earlier? I did. Uh, I think I did a couple of things differently, perhaps a new perspective, as I don't have an EE background. So it was only because they were kind of a little further away from the problem that it seemed like that kind of revealed the issue to them mm. as they fuzzed it out because they didn't know the standard way in which you fuzz these things out, and that's how it was slipping through the cracks, which is why we do like bug bounties and stuff like that. Like, hey, come with you and your fresh perspective and take a look at this. Maybe you'll find something everybody else has missed. And then we can apply that and we can make a better, stronger, more secure product. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, and I, I said predictive earlier talking about the CPU. What I what I should have said was speculative execution. That's the name. Which where Spectre comes from, right? Like the yes. idea of Spectre. Yep. Not to belabor the article for too long, but I, this might be an obvious question. So if it is, you know, just kill me. But I'm curious because it's... <laughs> I'm, <laughs> Go ahead, I'm, I was going to say, I, I'd be dead 10 times over by yeah. now if that was the case. But... I'm, I'm looking through the comments, which is always a mistake, right? And obviously there's people that are pissed and there's outrage and whatever. But uh, people are saying like, oh, well, Cloudflare, Cloudflare seems to have a fix for their data center products now. There's a patch for Epic. It's the consumer systems and workstations that are going to have to wait a few months. What What's the reason for that? Why does it take so much longer? So there's there's probably a couple of things. So, I mean, one is just the, the use case scenarios, right? So when you talk about the enterprise CPUs, you know how people are going to use those. But when it comes to the end users and all the other devices, right. it becomes a lot more unknown. So there's okay. that. Uh, there's the distribution mechanism, right? If let's say, let's say that Amazon has a data center that's completely decked out with AMD stuff, AMD can reach directly out to them. They can patch all those servers and handle it in one swoop versus customers that all have to be done individually. It's just right. much more complex. And so they got to test it out. And if I've got a thousand servers and the update bricks a hundred of them, that's not the end of the world. It's 10%, you know, whatever. But for an end user, they've only got one machine. And if it bricks it, like they're completely shut down. So there's a lot more testing that goes on. So there's a number of different things that make it take longer. Uh, it could also just be that uh, they're dragging their feet. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's certainly yeah, possible What's too. your hurry? <laughs> There's a lot more models of Ryzen's than there are uh, Epics, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, uh, so, so it could just take longer because of the amount of, right, yeah. Yeah, because each one has to have its own firmware build, and it's got to be tested and, and all that. So there will hopefully be a fix for that in the coming months, at some point in the this distant. This is like your new catchphrase. Near to distant in the future, coming yes. It just seems Sophia like it's, in the coming months, it's, good <laughs> <one>. <laughs> It's a recurring theme, it seems like. It just keeps coming back. Well, that's interesting. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully there's a fix sooner rather than later, because that's unfortunate. Well, by, by December, so maybe that will be your stocking stuffer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Firmware update. Great. Which, that's... which bricks your device. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would just make it coal, I guess, yeah. if it's a Christmas yeah. thing. 
I, I tried. I did my best. We'll go ahead and move on to the next article because I, I got nothing else for this one. Uh, this comes to us from the Hacker News. Game, game overlay. They did a little pun there. Two severe Linux vulnerabilities impact 40% of Ubuntu users. Now, I know you guys are definitely more well-versed in Linux than I am. So, I'm, sure. I'm, this, it says they're high severity security flaws that could pave the way for local privilege escalation attacks. Is there a is there a fix for this yet? Is that was there a patch or anything like that? Uh, there, there is a patch. This one went through responsible disclosure, so Canonical's already got a patch pushed out. If you've done your updates, you're already protected from this one. Uh, but this one caught my attention because I thought it was really interesting. It's a kernel flaw, but it only affected Ubuntu, and that's that's not normal, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a lot of distros that all use the same Linux kernel, and, and there's plenty of Ubuntu offshoots like Linux Mint and stuff that weren't affected for some reason. And what it turns out is that uh, Canonical has made some modifications to the kernel, some custom stuff. And and it's it's open source. They, they publish this out. So it's not like a license violation or anything like that. But when they do that, it opens them up to risk. And in this case, they introduced a flaw in the kernel and in the way that they handle file system access. And that led to this exploit. And that's why it only, it only affects these Ubuntu systems. And, and not just the current version, it's uh, 18.04, 20.04, 22.04. So all of the LTS models that are currently supported uh, or versions and 22.10 and 23.04, some of the short-term ones, those are affected as well. So first off, do your updates, right? If you do your updates, you'll get the patch for this and it's taken care of. If you can't do that, if there's some reason why you can't do the updates, then you probably need to understand how this exploit works because basically there's a file system overlay that's in place. And, and this is used by containers and other things where they want to expose a directory but not allow you to write to it. You need to be able to access the resources in there. And so it doesn't overlay. It kind of creates a virtual directory on top of that that you may well be able to write to. You might have full control over this, this overlay but not the underlying folder. And to the, to the user or the application, they just see one folder. They don't realize that there's two or even three or four. It can be split a number of times. Well, this vulnerability allows the attacker to access the underlying file system without the right protections. They can then write a file that shows up in the overlaying file system that then has like full root access. Like the that is a... a I think they run with uh, sewage permissions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. To, to be able to get that level of access, which is crazy. And so that's pretty bad. If an attacker has any level of access to the system, you know, you, like a drive-by website, right. they could trigger this and elevate privileges instantly. Yeah, because if I can write, I don't know, let's think of a, a good executable like Bash, <laughs> right? Yeah. To, and with, with sewage permissions, that once we're done playing our little overlay game, <laughs> that file's still there. And then any user, when they run it, it elevates to root permissions. That seems like a problem, Don. Yeah. It seems like a real issue. It's a bad one. And, <laughs> it's a bad one. And this one is, it's actually the result of a, a chain of vulnerabilities that when used together lead to this particular scenario. Uh, but it is Ubuntu specific. So if you're on uh, RHEL or Alma, Fedora, one of the other variants, variances out there, uh, even Debian, like if, if you're on just straight up Debian, which... Uh, Ubuntu is based on. Uh, if you're running that, then you're you're fine, right? Because this is a modification that Canonical made, and not a not a dig on Canonical, right? No, no. They the flaw was there, it got reported, they fixed it, the patch is out. Uh, but anytime somebody makes a customization like this, it it opens up to risk. Well, I think what the interesting thing kind of comes back to this: if you look at this article uh, and you read some of the other articles that it links to, they talk about how 
we've actually kind of gone down this road with OverlayFS before, like a couple of years ago, there had been some vulnerabilities very similarly uh, exposed for OverlayFS. And of course they were fixed, everything was good. And then here's Ubuntu going through the problem again. And it was all because of these little customizations they were making. And it just kind of shows you like, I it's, to me it's one of those kind of like um, check marks in the pro board of open source is you got a lot of eyes looking at things and yeah. you can discover stuff. And when you start making these, even though this is open source, but it was kind of all internal to Ubuntu, right? For the most part, uh, the people that were looking at these kernel modifications and working with them were people that are in canonical and therefore they kind of opened themselves up. And it wasn't until somebody with <laughs> an enterprising spirit went, let me take a look at these kernel modifications and maybe there's, a, oh no. <laughs> You know, th this is one of the reasons why I don't like the Ubuntu spins that they have. Yeah. You know, the the uh, modified distros. Mm. I, I feel like there's just too many too many chefs in the kitchen, too many people making modifications. So, like, I I'm a big fan of the XFCE mm. window manager. It's just that that user interface. Clean. It's lightweight. You know, it's, it's nice. what I like. Uh, I could go and download Xubuntu or Zubuntu or however you're supposed mm -hmm. to say that. Uh, and somebody, somebody, I don't know has taken Ubuntu and prepackaged it with XFCE and configured a bunch of things and turned it on. Or I could just install regular Ubuntu and add XFCE myself, which is what I do. Yeah. And the reason I do that is not because it's easier, it's harder, but because I know that I've now got Canonical's distro and their install, and that's it. I don't have another group. Because you've already got Debian making yeah. choices and then Canonical making choices. Why bring a third party into that that's much, much smaller when you could just do it yourself. Cut one person out of the yeah. out of the equation. And and the good thing about this, this is a privilege escalation kind of thing. So there would already have to be access to the system for any of this to even work at all. Yeah, right? the, the negative like there like though, networks is they could trigger it on a user like it, through like a, a drive-by website. You know, yeah, just about anything. Could they? It, yeah, like. I'm just trying to think how that will work. I'm, it's not coming to the. If front they do a malicious email attachment, right, right, and, and somebody has like run, run a program, yeah, 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 gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So th this could be <clears throat> what they use as the foothold. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, gaining access to a system isn't that hard, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> you, you send an email, they click the link, you're in. It's, it's kind of how it goes. So this would be like one tool in the toolbox, but it's it's a next step, right? It's like the next thing they got to do. Yep. So it's always interesting to hear you guys like kind of hash this out back and forth because this is the kind of article that I would read at the surface level and you know read about the flaws and whatever and it's interesting. But because I'm not a Linux user and because I'm not like you've said that it was unique that it only affected Ubuntu, that's not something I ever would have picked out for myself. Yeah, and you know you you say like I'm not a Linux user. Well, this kind of thing could happen under Windows or under Mac OS because they they do a lot of the same stuff. Uh, it's just they're usually a lot more closed about it. They don't share the information. But this type yeah, of exploit Microsoft does not talk about. I don't even think they say the word vulnerability around Microsoft. I, I know they were they do not exist. They here. were telling their employees not to say zero day. Yeah, right? that something was like that. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. bad word in Microsoft's yeah, building. Yes. Huh. Interesting. You'll find yourself with a banker's box at the door. Zero is a four-letter word. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Day. It's a seven-letter word. <laughs> Does the hyphen count? I mean, <laughs> it's a compound word technically. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Adequate comparison. Yeah. Well, sticking with the theme of we're talking about vulnerabilities and exploits and flaws, we have another article here from Cybersecurity News. This one's more about some Windows stuff. So this is hackers exploit Windows search feature to execute malware on infected systems. So I was reading through this and it, and it looks like it's they're uh, exploiting the search MS, I guess, function. And so 
basically they can get users to to execute malicious code without them knowing it as a windows user should i be worried sure <laughs> awesome. that feels so much better <laughs> you know um when we look at the address bar in a web browser, we always think of URLs, right? And, and these are addresses, the HTTPS colon slash slash, people know to look for that. But with that address bar, it's really a, a URI where you can have any number of different protocols that are out there. And you see it sometimes with like, well, I see it with Zoom all the time where Zoom has their little application uh, protocol they list there or Microsoft Teams or whatever. So it knows to launch out into an external program. Well, Microsoft Search has that same functionality, a search-ms that can be used as the protocol in a, uh, in a URL. Well, this exploit, what it's designed to do is kind of trick a user. A user gets an email, like, like Daniel was describing a minute ago. They go to click on a link, and users have become kind of trained to look for Visual Basic script or, or other things that like, oh, I shouldn't click on that. But because they can exploit that search provider instead of having it pop up in a web browser, they can make it show up in the Microsoft search screen. And that is where people start to let their guard down. And, and when they do it, they can change the icon. Like it can be an HTML file, but it's got the PDF icon when they do this. And so the, it, it opens it up to where they can hide what they're doing a lot better and trick a user to click on things and then really launch into some trouble. So it's a, uh, it's a creative attack. And I'm not sure that they've got a fix for this one yet. Daniel, did you see how they... How I they... did not see a fix for this, and that's because, like, it seems like this is how this works, right? Yeah. Like, ultimately, the mitigation is don't click links in emails, do not open attachments in emails, have good antivirus EDR solution, and don't click links in emails. Did yeah. I mention not clicking links in emails? <laughs> because that seems to be a good way to go. Now, now me personally... I absolutely hate, and this is not just a, a Microsoft thing, because Apple did it too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go on both of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and actually, Canonical did it a bit. Sick them, Don. <laughs> I hate that the search box searches more than just your files. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's annoying. It it's searches irritating. the web. It searches your applications. Like I hate that they added all that extra crap to it. Uh, Dude, I just straight up pull up a command prompt or PowerShell and, and do it. Duh the hard way yeah once you've done it 10 times it's not the hard way anymore you know? yeah yeah like on linux i'll just you know grep a directory yeah. find and, mm -hmm. yeah yep. which locate but I, I can't tell you how many times I, I go to run an application and right sophia you get yeah. you get like cnn and other things that are popping up like i don't want right. news articles about this application i don't and, care that matt damon is you know letting a new yeah. movie out or whatever why is this in <laughs> My operating system. I was going to say, why are you searching exactly. for Matt Damon in so your you So you don't. Bar? You just open up, like, you hit the Windows key. and went, Oh, I see up. what you mean. It starts yeah. giving you a bunch of bull crap yeah. that you don't care about. Yeah. The weather and the top yes. news. And I'm, see I'm seeing it right now. It's great. It's yeah. so great. Yeah. I I'll look for, uh, like, files or even just, like, applications on my computer in that search bar. And you're right. It's always, like, whatever the top articles are for the day. Yeah. I'm like, can I just get to my task manager? Like, I don't need this. Yeah. And it mixes it all together. You'll right. see like control panel items and stuff are popping up in there. And and so for a user, we're here we are telling them like, be vigilant. And they know when I'm when I'm in an email, if there's an attachment, I need yeah. to be vigilant. But when they're in their start menu right. and they're, they're just searching for something on their own computer, why would they be vigilant? It's on their own computer, except it's showing you internet results and, and things. It, it just, it blurs the lines. So I'm not a fan of this technology, but... It's in every OS now. We're kind of stuck with it. So, but it, it's there for like a convenience factor, right? It tries to make things easy for us. Yeah. Is that is that how it works? Yep. Yeah. How's that working out? I know. I, like I could, 
it'd be easier for me to walk into my house if I didn't put a door on it. But <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Man's pesky door just keeps getting in the way. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta find that balance, right, yeah, between yeah. security and ease of use. Yeah, and in which this is case, all security, no ease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is just turn your computer off. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Plug it from <laughs> Go the live wall. in the woods. Set it on Go fire. <laughs> Get you that lovely little cabin you've been waiting for. <laughs> Maybe I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. Well, there was something the other week yeah, where we talked about where I said, like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just go live in the woods. <laughs> yeah. something, I don't remember what it you was. Were, you now. were shooting at the sky yeah, or something. Because this was yeah. a Unabomber. Yes. He used to yes. shoot the airplanes with his like, <laughs> yeah. little 22 rifle or whatever. Awesome. Fun facts with Daniel. Yeah. So maybe I missed it. Maybe it was somewhere in here and I just, I just missed it the first time around. This isn't really something that there's like a, a fix for, right? There's recommendations for like things you can do to to hopefully not fall victim to it, but there's right. not a fix, right? Yeah, it's like uh, getting a scam phone call. Okay. Right? How do you prevent getting a scam phone call? Well, you can't really prevent it. You just have to recognize that it's happening oh. when they call you, and that's how this is. That kind of sucks. All right, so there's no... there's no, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like there's no solution. It's just like, yeah, just be careful. Yeah, I mean, it even says, here below we have mentioned all the recommendations. Yeah. Make sure to exercise caution and be vigilant about untrusted links. Yeah. It's crucial not to click on suspicious URLs or download files from unknown sources before avoid potential risks. Please keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. I was going to say, times. it's like a Claritin commercial. You're reading off the side yes. effects for us. Yeah. Yes. I think uh, I think we need a new blade. segment on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. The uh, well, that kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the sound or the picture would. It's just me going like the Debbie Downer face. Yeah. Sound of disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Debbie Downer. It does kind of suck, but okay. Well, it's good. I just as long as you're careful, I guess. This is this is something that might actually affect me as a Windows yeah. user. So it's a it's a creative use of this. If you're ever curious about the ways that social engineers and people are tricking your users, this is just another way they can do it. Uh, jump over and read the article. There's some good information yeah. there. Well, on that note, I do want to remind you all that Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So if you are listening from the Technado website, you can click on that Sponsored By button. That'll take you to the IT Pro website. And if you want to support the podcast, check out those courses. That's what we do in our day jobs. And it's a lot of fun. You can use the promo code Technado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. Uh, also, we're actually going to be at, or we're going to have a booth at Black Hat next week. That's in Las Vegas, I believe, at Mandalay Bay. I will be there. So if you're going to be there, come by and see us. It's booth uh, 1589. They're going to be doing a Mario Kart competition. They're going to announce winners. There will be prizes. It's going to be super fun. I'm sorry, a Mario Kart competition? A Mario Kart competition. Oh, yes. What am I missing out on? How does that work? It, exactly. So, yeah. Mario Kart. It's, and it's Mario Kart Double Dash, which is the best Mario Kart game, objectively. So objectively. it's objectively. I'm not. That's not my. By opinion. any standard. Google it. Not, but no, don't use your Windows search. You never play Double Dash. <laughs> I got it on my phone. I don't play it. I don't know what it double is. Double Dash, really? I guess I forget. You have like all those games. Yeah, that... a bunch of emulators. And... Yeah. Oh, must be nice. Yeah. But it's it's yes, it is the yeah. best Mario Kart you, game, and they will have Apple, yeah. a Mario Kart like a cup or a competition, and they're gonna announce winners. They'll have a leaderboard up there. There'll be winners hourly. So come by the booth and check it out. It's gonna be super cool. And then also, as always, even if you're not gonna be in Vegas, we do have a, a webinar coming up this week. It's gonna be the day that this episode is released. So that's Thursday, August third at two p.m. It's gonna be myself, Daniel Lowry, and Tim Medine of Red Siege as part of the webinar series, All Things Cybersecurity. So tune in two p.m. Thursday, August third, and bring your questions for Daniel and Tim. That is all that I have, unless I'm forgetting anything. I'm sure you are. Probably. It's okay. I have plenty of time to remember. Stove on? I have plenty of time to remember because I will never die. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's going to do it. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Technado. We'll see you next week.